UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. We should be recording now in the intro. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have a fascinating guest with me today, someone who's a certified MUFON investigator and a historian of ufology. I have with me from the state of uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia to be exact, Jesse Peak. Um, he's completing dozens of cases, a MUFON ERT, Experiencer Resource Team, helping experiencers on an everyday basis to find answers to their experience. Member of the SCU Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, an advocate for the Planetary Society working with Congress to extend funding for future space exploration. Project Director of Project BATEC, which I've never heard of, I gotta ask him about that. Research electrical malfunctions associated with UFO sightings encounters. EM topic, MOD co-founder of the UAP Medical Coalition with certifications in astronomy, space exploration, space advocacy, advocacy sorry, case management, introduction to computer technology, basics of digital imaging, PowerPoint, public speaking and di disposition and investigations. Also, he's a published writer in the MUFON Monthly Journal, an ex-Army National Guard MOS 13 Bravo artillery cannon crew member, where he did his training at Fort Skill, Oklahoma, counselor for five years teaching classes to young adults and Eagle Scout. He's also the host creator of the UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast and website with episodes every Thursday, bringing the best and brightest in the field of ufology, the paranormal, and experiences themselves. He has starred in two UFO documentaries and the latest coming in the June Plain site, The Intelligence Community of UFOs, produced by Dockside Media, helping to educate people with accurate information within the field of ufology. He's been interviewed on major radio stations and podcasts, and he's always happy to collaborate with others. And with that all said, I want to give him a big warm welcome to my show. Jesse, thank you for coming on my show. How are you? Hey, Robert. Thank you very much for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this since we started talking about coming on. Uh, it, it sound, oh, I'm sorry. It sounds like you're like a, that you're, you're an as, but you're involved in all aspects of ufology. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I started doing one thing at a time and then more and more stuff started popping up and I'm the kind of guy that likes to be involved. So um, I'm doing this full time. So I had the time to be involved with the stuff, but it, it, uh, it's, it's a job for sure. But I'm passionate about the subject. So it really isn't work at all to me in a sense. Well, it, I, that's awesome. Like, what, what I wanted to get into real quick before we, I wanted to get into some historical cases, but what I also wanted to talk about was like, I'm seeing a lot of, I don't want to call anybody out because, but it seems like you're, you're based on like the evidence because you're with MUFON and you're a part of the experience or research team. And I really believe there's alien abductions going on. I think we have proof of that. And I really believe there's UFOs going on because I, I mean, that's the proof of that's just, it's, it's not even a question of whether they exist anymore, but I do see a lot of disinformation in the community and i wonder if they do that to muddy the waters so we don't know what we're looking at and i just wondered if you could speak on that and what your thoughts were on that yeah i mean they definitely we know for a fact that the government does try to muddy the waters richard doty um is a big example of that you know he was a big disinformation agent and he would get together with ufologists that were really on point and doing the research and uh were kind of on the right track and he would get involved with them and he would start feeding them little bits of disinformation mixed in with real stuff. So then it would muddy the waters like you're talking about and information wouldn't come out properly. And then disinformation is getting published instead of the good stuff. 
Um, he said it multiple times in interviews that he's done this to people and confused the, the subject in general and did it for years. So we do know they do that for a fact. And then there was Philip Class too, right? Philip Class was a big, uh, he was a, a UFO debunker, but he like, he wasn't a debunker. I don't want to say he was a skeptic because then that gives skeptics a bad name. Like the name of my show is typical skeptic, but I'm really open-minded. Like I even have like secret space people on my show. Like I'm not saying I believe all of them, but like, I think there's definitely something going on with the secret space program. But like, what are your thoughts on what do you think we can actually verify and like what we can prove? Well, I mean, I guess that starts with testing. Um, a lot of stuff, like they're right now with the project that I'm running, we've been looking at different substances that have been found at crash sites and landing sites during encounters. And, you know, in a sense, if we can figure out what these substances are that were left behind, which we actually know uh, quite a few now, we can kind of figure out the technology that UFOs are using to fly around with impunity. Um, you know, if you look at the tech and uh, how they affect different technology during UFO sightings, that gives you an idea of what kind of technology they're using to disable our technology. You know what I mean? So there, there's definitely things that we can look at and uh, get an idea of what we're working with. Well, are they doing that? Are they using their technology to disable our technology, like our radars or our, 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 our what, what do you think they're doing? Like, well, that's the whole point of uh, Project Battech, like you, you said you wanted to uh, know about, is it, it stands for battery technology, and 404 is a normal error code you get with it. And what we do is we're investigating and researching these electrical malfunctions that occurred during these sightings and UFO encounters, um, even in contact encounters. We've had multiple different cases where nuclear weapons, you know, of Minute Base, uh, Robert Salas was the nuclear weapons commander on the base when the nuclear weapons went down. But we also have cases of normal people having their cell phones and camera batteries completely drained after they were just fully charged. Um, I've had people that are witnessing UFO UFOs coming at them, and all of a sudden their Sirius XM radio in their vehicle and their cell phone cuts out. Um, we're also seeing that there's a type of range too with it. Um, as they get closer to you, your tech fails, and as they start moving away and get out of a distance, your technology tends to come back online. So there's definitely a couple different aspects we can look at with it. Well, well what do you think that is? Like, do you think that's? I mean, like, and, and I guess that goes back to the substances, right? Like, is that like the substances that you found? Do they relate? directly to the electrical malfunctions? Uh, they could. Um, some of the substances we found are organic carbide, um, which is a metal compound valued for its hardness and strength. It really is good to resist like chemical attacks on high temperatures, which is perfect for something that's flying in and out of atmospheres. Um, like we know with our rockets, when we send them up, we, the, you know, they, we have to put heat shields on these crafts so they're able to get through the atmosphere into space and and organic carbide is exactly a compound just like that um, we've also had green polyvinyl fluoride which is used for flammability um, and it's 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 used for interior coatings on airplanes to help uh, the density of aircraft um, and then also sulfur is a big one that's found um, it's used in different kind of batteries and uh, production and chemicals uh, matches explosives and cement for like using different aircraft that we build um, and these are what's being found at these these landing and crash sites. So if we can kind of figure out more and what these go into, it's definitely going to be able to tell us what their technology is and what they're using based on propulsion. That's fascinating. Um, well, wh what are your thoughts on – I'll ask you first about this. What are your thoughts on what's going on with the um, – so that's more like nuts and bolts. But what are your thoughts with what's going on with the experiencer side? Because you're a part of the move on ERT, the experiencer resource team. Like – what do you think? I mean, do you believe that people are at, I mean, cause I, I do, I believe people are really having experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe it because I've had experiences myself. So that's kind of why I got involved with the MUFON ERT, which is, is the experience resource team. Um, uh, Kathleen Martin is, is part of the co-founder that, that uh, created the ERT for MUFON. Um, so I've, I've witnessed some things myself. I've had two sightings, um, both luckily I had somebody with me so I can confirm the sighting and, and make sure it wasn't just me seeing things. Um, but I've also had some, uh, things happen to me over the last two years, I'd say, uh, once I started getting really deep into the field and they say that once you start opening up to this kind of stuff, it kind of puts your antenna up and things kind of attract more to you. You're also working with people where you can have things attached to you or, you know, things like that. Um, so I've had some experiences, so I do believe in the experiencer phenomenon and working with the people I've worked with, you know, having marks on their bodies, um, implants being found, the things that have gone to the MUFON lab and come back and 
most of these uh, implants tend to have meteorite uh, metals involved with them. Um, so, and, and, you know, that's only going to happen from space. So, you know, that's got a, a, an implant that we're not familiar with. So I'm really big on the ERT phenomenon and helping people through their experiences because some, most of the time they don't have anybody to talk to. Um, so we're kind of that shoulder they can lean on and we can help them get involved in the community. So they have a better understanding and can cope with life better. Um, that's, that's the main goal of the ERT. I think that's really important because I think you're, you're right. Like I think these people need a shoulder to lean on. Like I get a lot of emails from a lot of people who are just kind of like opening up to this stuff. And first of all, I just wanted to say that, like, I think you're, you're, you're spot on with when you open up to this stuff that like, you know, things can attach to you because I, I actually, and I, I don't want to make this about me at all, but I'm just comparing like what happened was when I was doing a lot of podcasts, like, well, I'm still doing a lot, but I mean, like before I was interviewing a psychic and the one day, like I, I felt like where well, she said that I had a spirit in my room and I felt it like you can almost, you know, when these things show up, you know what I mean? And then it progressed into something a lot worse. And I've talked about it on my show, but like, is that kind of what happened to you? Do you think like from, and I think you just said that, but like, can you talk about it a little bit more from getting into the field, like how it developed into maybe an experience? Yeah, so I had um, I started working with people and doing my research myself before I joined MUFON in 2019. So I was I was getting into the subject, looking in the cases, historical stuff, all that. When I got into the field, started investigating for MUFON. You know, I was all first in, um, and I started having encounters and experiences in my room in the middle of the night. Um, it usually happened around the same time, between two and three o'clock a.m. in the morning. Um, you know, and I would be woke, woken up by being thrown against the wall. Um, I'd have things pushing down on my chest and I'd wake up in a panic attack. Um, there was also it escalated to the point of where I ha started having paralysis where I could not move, um, knowing that there's something there with me um, making this happen. Um, I had the situation remote viewed because I thought I was kind of I was questioning my sanity at the time. You know, because you start to think that you're going crazy, you know, because you're not used to this kind of thing. And, and it's it can be scary. Um, I went to the remote viewer. I uh, didn't tell her where it was happening, what it was. I just told her, you know, um, I'm having some encounters and I'd like to have it remote viewed. Well, she figured it out. It was in my room and that she believed the portal had opened up in my room. And this being was coming through the room to try to communicate with me. Um, but unfortunately, I was scared because I'm, I'm experiencing something that, you know, we don't really. I haven't seen before my eyes yet to know it exists in a certain way that they do and how they come through. Um, so I really didn't communicate with it fully. Um, and I kind of wanted it to stop and go away. Um, but yeah, it, they went on for some time. I had, uh, you start, I heard that animals can actually see these beings and see on a different level of frequency than what humans can. So I started bringing my cat in the room and she would actually be sitting there at the end of my bed, watching the closet area where the remote viewer said this portal was. And she's looking at stuff as if people are walking in and out of my room or going into the closet. Um, and then also I, I tried to use some memory foam because I'm thinking I'm going crazy. There's nothing doing this to me. And I use memory foam because when I would get pushed on my chest or being shoved, I could look at the memory foam when I woke up and I, I seen this deep handprint in the memory foam. Um, so there was a bunch of different things that happened to me because we're talking about a two year period here. Um, but it escalated to other things because portals just don't come through with positive stuff. A portal can open up to anything and let anything in, even if it's good or bad. Um, and then I started experiencing bad encounters where I would have that paralysis and could not move and be scared to death. Um, so I've dealt with a lot of it over a period of time. Um, and I went and I got help myself. And that's why I realized that I should be doing this for other people now, too, and then pass it down, you know. I like that. I think oh, I'm sorry. I think that's really admirable that you do that. Like, I, I really do. Like, I, I think, like, but what I was going to say was, um, I don't know if these encounters are negative or positive. I'm, I haven't really made up my mind on that yet. Like, what I feel, though, is this. I feel like that it's a mixed bag. I think the extraterrestrials or if they're interdimensionals, whatever they are, um, and I, I think it could be both, really. I think that, that we're dealing with a lot of different stuff here. I think the paranormal world is is a lot more – I mean, I think this reality that we live in is a lot more mysterious than – you know. I mean, it could be go down to as far as maybe we were living in a simulation, you know, like – and but like – 
you know, there's things inside this matrix or whatever it is we live in, like ghosts, demons, extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, um, shadow people, you know, so who knows what you had an experience with? I mean, I know I've had experiences with the shadow people before. Do you think it was something like that that might have been? I mean, because you said it was a portal. So did you ever narrow it down to what do you think it might have been shadow beings or something demonic or maybe extraterrestrials mixed with some kind of uh, paranormal? When she when the remote viewer described the E.T., she she called it an E.T. or a being. Um, and she said she had never seen one like this before. She said it was extremely, extremely tall, probably about eight to nine foot tall, very skinny, uh, long arms, really long fingers. And it was trying to point at something and show me whatever it was. So to me, it kind of sounds, you know, maybe more paranormal ET type deal, not a cryptid or anything like that. Um, but that's how she described it. And uh, that's, you know, it was coming from that, that, that same location from my closet where all this activity was coming from. So it was pretty crazy to hear that's that, in my room, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's wild. Um, so um, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about was I listened to a podcast you did with, um, I can't remember who it was, but you were talking about this woman who was at a pole and she shot a video of a UFO. And I, I, I guess you got a hold of the evidence. Like, do you get a lot of evidence? Like, is that pretty normal? I mean, do you see a lot of, uh, photos, videos, um, are people capturing a lot of stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of still photos, um, videos we've been getting. Um, now the star team, they really work with the top cases that have that evidence where we go out and collect stuff in the field. Um, I have all my equipment that I can do that if I get a case that, that, that requires that. Um, but yeah, I've had plenty of video and photo stuff that I've had to announce, uh, put through analysis through different programs i'm pretty good with finding fakes and hoaxes and figuring out what things are um and then also if i have to i can go out to the location because every field investigator gets local um cases so it's it's going to be in your area anyway so a lot of times i like going out to the area and actually scoping the area out so i can see what this person was looking at from the same direction and then confirm that with the video and photos at the same time so i can figure out if it's something explainable or if it's something that She's really seeing that it's an unidentified object, um, but we've had plenty of cases because MUFON has our own lab. We can we can go ahead and take these samples and send it to our laboratory and get the results we need. Um, there's plenty of times where we take you know core samples um, from different landing sites, and then you take a, a you know a, a set of samples that are outside the landing site and compare the two, see if there's anything radioactive or if there's any extra energy involved with it. Um, we EMF the the area to make sure there's no different frequencies that are being uh, driven from these areas. So there's plenty of different stuff that comes in. I mean, it ranges. Uh, we've had implants. Um, you know, Dr. Roger Lear did the implants for a while. Um, unfortunately, our doctor retired from doing that. So we can send it to the local hospital, get it removed, but then we can go ahead and send it to our lab to get analysis done if you really want to figure out what it is. Do you see that a lot of people or a lot of people coming in with implants like or, or reporting them? Now, I've had a couple. Um, the problem is getting that person to go to their local hospital and want to ask to get it removed. Um, you know, it's a little harder and people, you know, do worry about, you know, people looking at them a certain way and, and judging them. Um, and most of the time it can be very hard once you go to a hospital and you say, hey, I have something in my body. I want to get it removed. They'll remove it and throw it away. And so you got to make sure you go and, and, and mark some stuff down and tell them that you want this object from the body. Um, and so that can be the, the kind of hiccup that people have. Like they don't feel like going through that whole process unless it was done with us directly. Um, so I had seen people now I know other investigators that have dealt with this kind of stuff before and actually had the process fully done. And that's where we're able to find out that these, these implants, usually before they're taken out of the body, they give some kind of frequency, like they're kind of radioing off. And, uh, once they're removed from the body, they kind of have this, this membrane around the actual implant itself. And what that does is when the implants inject into the body, there's no reaction to reject the object. Once you peel through that membrane and you get to what's the, the, the actual substance itself, it usually comes that it's some kind of meteor, meteor, meteorite or metals from, you know, that we don't have here on Earth. So uh, it's interesting, you know. <laughs> I, I, well, one of the things I, I remember I had Daryl Sims on my show and he's of the opinion that these things are more negative. You know, he's he's convinced like 
from all these years of research that this is more negative. And I don't know, you know, but like one thing that he mentioned was when he, you know, he was working with Dr. Lear with the implants and he said that he thinks that he talked, he talked to someone and he thinks that, that these, these implants are responsible for controlling the abductees um, neurotransmitters and like serotonin, dopamine, which to me sounds a little bit dangerous. Like if that's really what it is, because if someone has control over that stuff, they have control, they can pilot you like a remote, but you know, like that controls all the functions of your brain. Like, so it's not just like a tracking device in that sense, in that sense, it's actually controlling your emotions. So Absolutely. they can, they can make you feel any way they want. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, see, we know DARPA. If you, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with DARPA, they're the defense or the defense agency, whatever they do. They're they're like black projects they, they're involved with. Um, but a couple of years back, they they came out with an article about nanotechnology, about these these little machines that you can only see under the microscope that are injected into people's bodies, and they think that they can use these to attack cancers in people, but they can also be used to kill somebody. Um, and you got to understand if we we, we think about reverse technology and, and like you said, we think that these can control people. Well, that's probably where we got it from. And now we're using it to do those type of things, you know, and that, I really believe that um, we know that with the frequencies that, that have been coming from implants, if it's giving a frequency off, then it's obviously being intelligently controlled and tracking the, the person in general. Now, Whitley Strieber has talked about his ear, his implant in his ear and how it gets extremely warm when, when he's about to have contact at night. So he knows when he goes to bed that night that he's going to be visited. Um, and there's other people that say that their implants have, have done different things during different times as well. But Whitley is one who really talks about it. Yeah, I, I, I even have something like I, and, and I feel like it happened with all this what's going on because like I've opened myself up from doing podcasts, but like I have a bump on my ankle. It's not even it's like a it's like a lump. But like, you know, I went to the doctor and I had it checked out and like he said it was fine. And he said I should just leave it there. But like something about me is thinking like I, I never even took pictures. It's like a am looking at it now like because I don't have socks on and I'm like I'm just looking and it's just a weird bump. It's not discolored or anything. And it makes me wonder, like, if, like, if they can take people or they can do things without people knowing, like, if the memory wiping technology is so good, whether who's doing it, whether it's the government or the aliens, that they can take people and then they just have never have any idea that they're ever being taken. Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot. There's people that have been taken and, you know, you can get those memories back if you work your mind and you try to actually do meditation and, and try to recall those events. They will slowly start coming back if you work on that. Um, there's been people that have been taken and don't remember until 10 years later and they finally remember everything. Um, so it, it's different with, the, with different people. Um, now, like in your case, if you're wondering if you have an implant, one of the ways you can find out, uh, use a dark, a dark lamp and that, that will actually show you by, by, if an ET touches you, it usually leaves a mark on your body that can only be seen by a black light, by a luminescence. And if you have, if you put that on your body and you see marks on your body, that means something was touching you. The next step you do is you get an EMF reader and you try to take a frequency from that object, see if it's giving off anything. If it's giving something off and you're getting even the slightest uptick of a reading, there's a the good possibility that you have an implant in your body. So well, what do you what what kind of EMF reader do you get? Like, is it are they are they relatively inexpensive? Or are they expensive or what? I've never. I mean, I they range. You can get the expensive ones for like four to five hundred dollars, or you can get the mid grade or cheaper ones. I mean, the cheapest one you can get probably would be like fifteen bucks. Um, I have a thirty dollar one. Works great. It gives me uh, all electrical mag all electrical fields, magnetic fields, radiation. And there's another setting on it as well. And it works great. I've used it multiple times testing it and uh, just, you know, walking around the house, testing my TV and, and just learning how it works. Um, and they're good to have, you know. Yeah, because I, I have stuff that supposedly like, you know, blocks EMF or not blocks EMF, but like supposedly it's stuff that cuts down. And I'm sure you've heard of some of this stuff. Like I have like orgone pyramids that people say they, they have stuff in there that like like helps reduce the uh the emf because like i'm, I'm around a computer a lot because i'm always doing a lot of interviews so like i right. try to buy things that I, I have tachyon tachyon supposedly that's another thing that they say is supposed to really um cut down the emf i mean these are all kind of like alternative media um or alternative um 
devices. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, um, so I don't know if they really reduce the EMF or not, but what would be interesting is to get an EMF reader and like, kind of like you said, test things because you never know how high the EMF radiation is around you. Right. You would be absolutely surprised to see how, how, I mean, over the amount that you're just, your smart TV is the microwave when your microwave is running, it's the worst. I mean, the, the thing goes off the charts. So that's why they always tell you what I'm, at least when I was brought up on adult stand in front of the microwave, you know, it gives off radiation. We know that. But when I gave the reading on the on the EMF thing, man, this thing been going off the charts. I've never seen numbers like that. And then even your your cell phone, which is they say, you know, having that cell phone and talking on your phone all the time gives people brain cancer. Well, that's a good possibility if it's giving off frequencies that are that high. And even your smart TV. So then we talk about these 5G towers that are being put up everywhere and Imagine how high it is there and what it could do to the human body if you live around it. You know, it's it's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, I know. I know like when I talk on the phone, like if I'm talking to a girl and I know I'm gonna be on the phone for a couple hours or something, I always use headphones because like I don't wanna I don't wanna or you know, I'll use earbuds because yeah. I don't wanna like have that and I don't even use wireless earbuds. I use the, the old school ones, like because like I heard that the wireless earbuds can give off even radiation too, or something like that. I'm yeah, not sure about that. Mechanisms in them, yeah. um, but what I, I was going to say was, yeah. yeah. What What are your thoughts on the secret space program? Because I, I know you're like a hardcore investigator. So like, and I know you're based in evidence, but, and like the secret space program is weird because I'll just give you like what I think about, like, I'll tell you what I think. Like I've interviewed a lot of the whistleblowers, right. And I don't deny them or I don't, you know, I'm not saying I believe them hundred percent or I don't, deny them 100% because we, we just don't know because there's no evidence. But there is evidence that there's been some kind of like that our government has craft. We know that. I don't know if they have battleships, but we know they have craft. Now, if they're patrolling space, like if there's Solar Warden, I'm, I'm not sure. But like, what do you think about all that? So I'm very open minded to things. I am very evidence based, but I'm very open minded to, you know, all the possibilities, the paranormal high strangeness and all that. Um, now, I did, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, I was at the New Jersey conference that they had, and this gentleman, Frank Chile, spoke there. Um, and he's a historian, but he actually found uh, blueprints of these, what they're supposed to be futuristic spacecraft that have had patents taken out for them. Now, you need to take a patent out before you want to, you know, make something. And uh, these blueprints were they look like they came out of uh, an episode of lost in space. Um, and they were the real deal telling you how to put these massive fleet type spacecraft together. Um, and it actually blew my mind. Um, <laughs> it blew my mind so much. I invited him to the Philadelphia conference I'm throwing this year because the, the lecture was amazing. Um, so I definitely believe that the, it's a possibility that this is happening. And then you got all these people saying that they're part of these secret space programs, you know, the 20 and back or the 30 and back, they'll call it. Um, but you know, there's no real hard evidence to say it. Um, but it's definitely a possibility in my mind. Yeah. Cause the way I look at it is why would they, um, start, why would all these people start having memories all of a sudden? You know what I mean? I find that like, I find it sus in a way like suspect, but I also find it maybe credible that something's going on because like, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm, like I said, I'm a little bit skeptical, but I'm really open-minded. So I'll always have them on my show. But like, I, you know, like I just I take everything with a grain of salt because you just never know. You know what I right. mean? Like, I mean, it's so hard to tell. Like, that's kind of why I like um, talking about like the historical cases, like it's kind of like stuff we, we can prove. Like, for example, like the Travis Walton case, Betty and Barney Hill, like those are home runs. Like th yeah. those are th I think those are guaranteed proof that like something went on. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I can't guarantee it. But it seems like it seems right. And like and Kexpert, for example, like that, that's another example of something where that was an, a real landing of something that happened. And uh, right. I mean, like, what do you what are your thoughts on all that? So, um, you know, I'm big on historical cases, especially stuff like that. I absolutely believe Betty and Barney Hill um, and Travis Walton. I met Travis last year. We talked for a while. Um, absolutely believable the story. Um and, you know, the documentation about how well 
Um, the, there was tons of evidence with Betty and Barney Hill, and especially be, them being a, mis, a mixed race couple back in a time where there was still segregation. They didn't want to bring attention to themselves, especially coming out and saying they were abducted by aliens. You know, that's the last thing they want to be involved with, having news crews, you know, all that kind of stuff. Betty's dress being having uh, uh, being put on differently and having pieces cut out of it. Um, Barney's shoes having drag marks on the heat on the, uh, the toes of the shoes because he's being dragged by the ETs onto the craft. The missing time they had, they were missing like two, three hours of time when they were supposed to be home already. Um, I mean, it's incredible. And then you look at, you know, the other the other cases and and. It's just amazing, you know, to have that kind of evidence. And back then, we we didn't have the technology we, that we have today, so there couldn't be many many different excuses as to what happened to them, you know. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on um, what was I going to say? I just oh, the hybrid program, like because like what made me think about that was when we were talking about Betty and Barney Hill. I know, like, and and David Jacobs said this too. I'm a big fan of David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. Like, I love their work. Like, even though like I know David Jacobs looked at everything. I mean, I I tend to be a fan of the the researchers who said the abductions were more negative. Like, I'm a fan of Daryl Sims. I'm a fan of David Jacobs. Like, I might not agree with them completely, but I do kind of feel like there are malevolent abductions because like you know um why why would they come in the middle of the night and i mean i guess we're more docile when we're sleeping but like you know like um david jacobs said this and daryl says it and barney hill said it and other people said it dad jim sparks and what i'm getting to is like the the taking of semen and eggs like it seems like in all these, a lot of these cases that were reported, it's, it's like the, the ETs are always taking semen from men and eggs from women. Like, have you found the same thing? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I have experience for month, every month or uh, once a year on my show. Um, and last year we had, uh, a lady who was part of believed to be a part of the hybridization program. Um, you know, she was, uh, she actually was able to have this happen. She was pregnant. Um, and then went to the doctor's found out she was not pregnant. Um, and then come to find out that she wound up having an experience her about a year or two later. And she was welcomed by two large ETs and walked into a room with a little tiny, what she called a hybrid sitting on the bed. And she believed this was her daughter. Um, and they were showing her her daughter because ET supposedly don't have empathy and don't really have too many feelings. And she needed that um, so that they bought a real mom in and supposedly met her, her, her hybridization uh, daughter. So there's plenty of people that are out there that talk about this stuff. Geraldine Arcorzo is someone that's big with the hybridization program. She's got medical documentation about having cysts on her ovaries. So many that the explanation, they, they really don't know how to explain it. Um, and to have documentation for medical professionals is is something big. So, yes, I, I believe that it's a possibility this has happened. There's been so many accounts of it that you can't really just say no, you know. Yeah. What makes me weirded out is like when the when the hybrid mothers talk about that the ETs have them hold the baby. For some reason, they 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 need the mother to hold the right. hybrid baby. I don't know if it's because they have to show that baby nurturing so it like has like some kind of empathy or I don't know if they, it gives off the scent of the mother or, and the, and that gives it some kind of like solace or something like that. You know, I, I never, I never figured that out. That's what happened with her. They wanted her to go over and hold the, the baby, the child, because what we're told that these beings, they, they have no emotions. They don't have, they don't know how to show love or show happiness or show feelings for something. So they needed the mother to come in to hold the baby to show that affection of the of the real mother to the to this this hybrid being, so it could have that, because they're having hybrids. They're general, I mean, you would really think, let's make a hybrid so we can better ourselves as a species. So they needed to show these babies and children this empathy and these feelings, you know, that so they can get better and become a better species. Yeah. Um, so um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I want to ask you about Kecksburg. So yeah, we'll get into that before, because I wanted to ask you about the documentary you're into, but we have time. We've only been going about a half hour. So um, what, what, what did you find about Kecksburg? Because what what, we're both from Pennsylvania, you're from Pennsylvania, I'm from Pennsylvania. So we kind of have a, a link to that. Like, you know, like being from the area, it probably interests you, like it interests me. Like, what did you find about Kecksburg? So, yeah, I wrote an article about, you know, because Pennsylvania is seventh all time in UFO sightings. So our whole entire state is a, is a hot spot. 
Um, and I had I added that case in there because it's one of the big cases of Pennsylvania in UFO history. Um, you know, for the way that the military stormed into that little town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, with um, loading trucks, uh, tractor trailers, I mean, men in black, um, they roped off to, if it was just a normal little rocket that was being shot and came down or a balloon that crashed or an airplane that crashed, none of that would have happened. You would have been able to sit at the cross at the, uh, the the yellow cross tape and look at what was going on. But they kicked everybody out of the woods. They told them to keep their mouths shut. They once they went into the woods with the tractor trailer and loaded whatever this craft was onto the flatbed. They covered it up so nobody could see it, and it was supposedly <laughs> broken down into pieces that looked like some kind of flying saucer. Um, you know, there's been people that have investigated the, the Kecksburg and, and think that it was a Russian uh, spacecraft or a Russian missile that went, you know, crazy. But to have that much secrecy over an object that crashed in your town just shows that there's something more to the story they're not telling. And it's a good possibility. It was either a reverse engineered craft or it was a really ET e uh, flying saucer. That's awesome. Like um, what, okay, what I was going to ask you next was, um, I'm seeing here. Oh, I, I wanted to go back to Bat, Bat, Project Battech because I find that really interesting. Is there anything we kind of, because we kind of talked about that, but I'm seeing if there's anything we missed or maybe anything interesting that we didn't talk about on that, any more information you have on that? Yeah, so uh, Project Battech 404, I started in, I think it was October. This was our year uh, this past October of uh, the project being up. Um, we accept cases. Um, we have a recording email that if you've had some kind of EM uh, encounter during your sighting, um, you can report it to us and one of our investigators will contact you to get the information from you. Um, and we're actually in collaboration with KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies, BUFON, the British UFO Network, and uh, the UAP Medical Coalition. And we're all kind of working together to bring the best information we can. Um, I build a database with my team so we can log uh, your cases once you report them. Um, but we're really trying to figure out, there's a few uh, hypothesis questions we asked ourselves. You know, is there a range these crafts have to be in to affect our technology? Um, what are they using to affect our technology? Is it some kind of frequency that they're, they're using a high frequency or low frequency to cause malfunctions? Um, can we Can we log this information? Can we get some kind of... Um, you know, information on readings to get statistics to be able to get to the public. Um, so we're doing a lot of different stuff. We're really focused on the substances that we found, like we talked about earlier. Um, but if anybody's had anything, they can easily report it to our email. We have our website, projectbattech404.wordpress.com. You can go on there and check it out. Uh, we also have a bunch of articles that we have published so far and information that we've researched and investigated. I think there's like uh, five or six publications on there, so you can read that. Um, and we are a public project, so we try to be as public and exclusive with the public and community as we can. Um, it's going great, and uh, we have a full team, and we're just looking forward to research, you know. Are people getting a lot of um, – are people? Are you getting a lot of cases where, like, people had, like a, like, a landing in their yard or something like that, and then it takes off? So, like, there's, like, burn marks or radiation, like, like uh, signatures or anything like that? Yeah, MUFON actually invested, uh, investigated one about a couple years back. Um, an object had landed in uh, the uh, neighbor's yard, and the neighbors actually witnessed this object go and land on their property. Um, and then they watched this object get, uh, slowly rise up and then take off. Boom. Um, when they walked over on the grass that was there, all the grass was uh, burnt. That was in the circular. The, it was in a circular shape, just like the craft was. And everything inside that circle was burnt. Um so they called MUFON in. MUFON came in with our director of investigations international, took soil samples um, from that location and sent it to the lab. And that's how we find out the chemicals that are in the field, like this organic carbide, the green poly uh, polyvinyl fluoride and sulfur. Sulfur is the number one thing we usually find at these crash sites and landing sites. Um, and what we what this comes from is the propulsion system they're using or the amount of heat that comes off of the craft as they land in these areas. So that's what we try to figure out all these substances and we try to document them because it will lead to finding out what kind of propulsion system these crafts are using um, and what technology they're using. So that's big. 
speaking of that, like, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, Bob Lazar? Because like, I I've heard some stuff recently that like that I've heard like uh, uh, like. Okay, there's a there's a there's a show, and I'm not gonna call him out because like, but he's he has a show, and he calls people out for like, you know, he said he says it's disinformation. And he was going kind of this guy was going over the Bob Lazar case, and he was saying that Bob Lazar was like a fraud and this and that. But then like I I I think that there's some truth to that Bob Lazar story, just because simply because I had Jim Goodall on my show, and Jim talked about that like Bob would take them out to the desert. And Bob would know exactly when these craft are going to come and, and when the government are going to fly these craft. And he knew the exact time and supposedly people witnessed this stuff. Like, um, and I figured since you being an investigator, you, you know, you would have looked into this a little bit because you're into this stuff. So I figured you might know a little bit. So I know the show you're talking about, we won't mention names, but yes, I, 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 I did see a little bit of that. Um, and I also had Jim Goodall on my show as well and said the same thing. Um, but, the element 115 really did it for me. There was that. Um, he described how he entered and exited the base when they had to do it. All that information was right. They got on that plane. They flew the plane over, got on the bus with the tenant windows, and drove to the facility. That's how it was described from other people that worked at the Area 51. Um, you know, George Knapp doing his investigation and figuring, you know, they tried to wipe all his information out as if he didn't go to college and didn't work where he worked at. But luckily, George Knapp found his name in the phone book at the facility that he was working at outside of Area 51. Um, so there's a lot of things that the government slipped up on and kind of gave this information. Well, we found the information, George Knapp and the, and the researchers that proved that Bob Lazar was doing, he was obviously working at Area 51. He worked at where he said Element 115 was real. We have it out today. You can't argue with that. So where did he get all this information from if he did, if he wasn't involved with UFOs in Area 51? There's no other excuse for it. I, I believe that he is, is true, what he did. And the reason he came out was to protect himself from the government, either trying to assassinate him or ruin his life. So he had to come public with it. Now, is there some of this stuff that might be exaggerated? Yes. Bob Lazar was a partier. He liked to go and, you know, party with girls and go to strip clubs and do that kind of stuff. So, like, yeah, that guy, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I just got excited because I had to ask you this. That guy was saying on that show, he was saying that Bob Lazar opened whorehouses. And he was like, I remember he was saying, he's like, what kind of scientist owns a whorehouse? And I was like, well, that makes sense because not a lot of scientists do whorehouses. But I mean, like, at the same time, like, I don't think he owned a whorehouse. Like, I don't, I really don't think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know Bob Lazar from Adam, but like, you know, like, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, like, what are your, what are your thoughts on all that stuff? I, no, I never heard that, that that's what the case was. I know he went to a lot of strip clubs and party and the man would invite people back to his home, but I never, I don't, I don't think he owned a strip club or a whorehouse or anything like that. And I think that's just bulls add onto his story because uh, that person tends to exaggerate a lot of stuff as well. So um, uh, I believe the story overall, you know what I mean? He did party a lot, but you know, it is what it is. The other information is, is set in stone. You can't, you can't deny it. I think what this comes down to is, um, is uh, I, I don't want to say skeptics because the name of my show is skeptic, but I'm a believer. But I really think it comes down to skeptics and believers and misinformation. And, and, and you know, because there's like the people like us who are we're open minded and we're researchers and believe we're believers. But then there's like there's hardcore skeptics that almost like almost want to debunk. And then on top of all that, we're, we're, we're faced with like a lot of misinformation that's thrown into the community. So it's hard to like discern like what's real and what's not real, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially on social media and UFO Twitter. I mean, there's so much disinformation and bad information on there. It's insane. So, you know, if you're getting into the field, you got to do your due diligence and pay attention to who people are and what they're about, who they hang out with, the kind of information they put out. And after a while, you'll kind of you'll kind of click yourself if you if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you really want to help the field. You'll find the people along the way that are doing the right thing. Um, if not, you'll fall into that little disinformation group as well. You know, uh, pu sock puppet accounts and all that kind of stuff. I'm not here for that, so I don't. I try not to get involved. I just try to do the research. I found my group of tight people that are really trying to do some good work. So you just gotta you gotta watch who you, who you hang out with in this field. You know. I, I, I totally agree. Now, um, you've been in a couple documentaries, and I think that's awesome. Like, can you talk about uh, the documentaries you were in? 
Yeah, so uh, one should be coming out this year, so I can't really say nothing about that one yet. Um, but the one that just came out this past October 31st was called uh, In Plain Sight, um, The Intelligence Community and UFOs by Dockside Media. Um, that starred myself, uh, Tom Carey, the uh, Roswell expert. I love Tom. Um, yeah, great guy. Great guy. He's right here in PA with us. So uh, very close. Eric Mantell from Eric Mantell Investigates. He's, he's got his own uh, investigating uh, crew that he goes out and does paranormal and UFO stuff. Um, Richard Doty was in it as well, and John Ramirez, uh, the CIA guy. So there was the five of us. Um, we, you know, we really talked about the cover-ups uh, that the government's doing, um, what we're dealing with when it comes to the experience or phenomenon that the government wants to cover up so much. Um, it, it, it was. I thought it was. I thought it came out very good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Richard Doty. <laughs> uh, I didn't know he was going to be in it. But, uh, you know, at some point you kind of have to have him, his input into this, too, because he did work for the, the government. And that's what this is. The, the, that's what the movie's based on, the documentary. Um, but there's a lot of good information. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't take a word Doty says as real because, like, he, I mean, like, I, I, I believe you because you're a real investigator. And, like, I, I just get a good sense from you. Like, I'm, I'm kind of psychic and, like. I, I can run and resonate with people like, and I, I really believe in psychic phenomena. I have the psychics on my show every week. And like a lot of people want to say whatever about that, but like, I know it's real. Like, cause I, I, I feel psychicness myself and I get like a good sense from you. Like I resonate with you and I resonate with what you're doing. Like I, I appreciate that you're trying to bring truth to the community. But um, what I was saying was with Doty, he uh, I think he set people up. You know what I mean? Through misinformation in the community, like did all kinds of crazy shit. Now he's trying to come into the community and get on documentaries. It's like, right. you know, it's like, what the F, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, he's playing both sides of the coin now. Now he's part of the community when he was trying to ruin it back in the day. And he admits that he was ruining this. He was ruining people's lives. He ruined people's jobs. He ruined people's relationships with their wives and their husbands. You know what I mean? Throwing them this information, making the people get obsessively crazy about the phenomenon, thinking that they're going in the right direction. And they're really just he's making people look like they're idiots. I mean, he really did this to people. And it kind of. Yeah. And that, that, on top of that, that shows the, you the length that the government will go to cover something up. And this reminds me of I mean, and we've been going about 45 minutes. So I, we got a little, a little couple more minutes. I just wanted to ask you about um, if you remember Dr. Carla Turner. You know, she was really ahead of her time in the abduction phenomena. I mean, she was just like a stellar researcher, you know, and uh, I believe she might have been murdered. I don't I don't know for sure, but I, I think so. Dr. John Mack was hit by a car in London. I mean, I don't know how that happens, but like it seems like that like these three letter agencies or whoever's running the show has went out of their way to either ruin people's lives or end people's lives when they get in deep into this phenomenon. I agree. And that's exactly why Bob Lazar went public, because if he didn't go public, he'd have been one of them guys that got hit by a car and you would have never known his story. But because he went public and he had all the story out, if anything happened to him at that point, then the government would look guilty. So it's, it's just a shame that they didn't go public at that time. But you wouldn't think that your own governments have to get you if you're trying to do some research on this phenomenon. And that just goes to show you how important and how much they take this phenomenon seriously and how much they lie to us about how much they do. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a bigger deal than most people realize. I think it's the biggest deal. I mean, and then, and one of my last things I could probably talk to you forever. Cause I, I, you know, about all the areas of the phenomena, like what are your thoughts on Greer? Because it seems like sometimes it seems like Greer's trying to do the right thing. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I like to think that a lot of these researchers are trying to do the right thing, but like, you know, some people say that Greer is a, an agent, but I, I, I don't see that because it seems like he's working against the government. It's see, this is where it get the waters get muddy and it's so hard to tell. You know what I mean? And I, I, I can't pick up a resonance, but like, I'm, I can't tell if I resonate with Greer or not because it's so, I'm so 50, 50 on it. You know what I mean? Like what, what are your thoughts on what he does? So in the beginning, man, in the nineties and early two thousand, Greer was really on top of everything, man. I really felt he was doing a great job trying to bring these people together and have these national press clubs with all the with Robert Salas and all these military men and people and officials um, and bringing them together to get this information. He was really fighting for disclosure. Um, and now I think more today, 
he's kind of gotten a little money hungry in a sense. And, uh, you know, is willing to do anything for the extra buck now. And if you look at all of his events that he holds, man, it's super expensive. He won't come and do an interview on anybody's show unless you have a minimum of 200,000 subscribers. Um, it's just, it's, there's, there's a lot of things that are pointing to show that he's not in the right direction anymore. Like he used to be, because he used to be someone I looked up to majorly, you know, but now he's charging five or, or a thousand dollars for for a live in person conference lecture for a couple hours. It's like it's insane. Were you around for the Art Bell days? Like, were you were you young then, or were you? Because uh, I'm like 43, so like when when Art Bell was going, I was like in my 20s. So you know, like I kind of got to like I was like I what I wasn't like really deep into the phenomena then, but I like listened to Art Bell. I used to have a girlfriend, and I would drive her home late at night. And then I would turn on Art Bell and I would just cruise around and listen to Art Bell late at night. Like, did you ever get into Art Bell? I didn't do Art Bell because I was past my time, but I got, um, I always listened to George Norrie and Coast to Coast. So same thing type of deal. Yeah. That's I didn't even know there was, there was a channel like that. I didn't know there was a community for UFOs until I was later in my in older years. So <laughs> I'm 31. So like, like my early twenties uh, or like at the 20 mark is really when I started thinking about this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So I kind of got into it late and I joined the 2019 MUFON because two years prior, I just found out that MUFON was a real thing. So I got, I wish I would have did it earlier. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you got into it late because look, like, like put it this way, man. Like I had like my second awakening. I would say like, okay, I was always into the paranormal when I was a kid, but when I was 37, I kind of got back into this stuff, you know? And then when I was 40, I started my podcast. So like, I guess I, you could say I got into it late, but I would say that you're pretty young for like getting into the phenomena. And I think we need more researchers like yourself that are your age, because, you know, this is a, unfortunately, this is a, um, this is a field that seems to be dying off. Like I, there's not a lot of researchers. I don't, at least I don't know of many. I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot of the researchers and podcasters and stuff are more like my age. So like, I think it's, it's really admirable that you're doing that. Do you, do you know a lot of people in, that are around your age that are doing this or am I? Very, very little, man. You know, very, very little. Um, I'm 31. So I mean, I know a couple of people that are around maybe a, couple years older than me that is the youngest that i know of um and that's something that i've actually stressed to move on is letting them know hey we should start doing some outreach and getting the younger crowd involved with ufos i was like if you guys would have did more outreach in my earlier years i would have found out about you then and been involved so much longer you know what i mean so i think it's a big important thing to start getting these kids involved in, in into the ufo phenomenon and that starts with education, you know what I mean? And letting kids know, hey, there might be something to this, you know. How about you get involved with astronomy? Because astronomy kind of leads to seeing things in the sky, you know, those type of things. Yeah, and, and my, well, my last question for you is, do you, I mean, when you think about the fact of, like, interstellar travel and, like, you know, like, back in the Art Bell days, Art Bell would have, like, Seth Shostak on from SETI. And SETI said they could never find a signal of any, extraterrestrial life in our solar system you know but then there's like these reports of aliens like coming into our our reality all the time abducting people and we we know that there's somewhat proof of that so like what i'm saying is like what do you think this is like an interdimensional thing with portals or do you think it's a interstellar thing with like space or do you think it's a mix of both i mean like what i mean because like why do you think we can't find anything out in space, but then we have these aliens coming here? That's a big conundrum. Well, see, I think we have found stuff in space, but they cover it up. NASA, NASA always doctors photographs. I mean, look how many photographs people have found on the NASA website that have had things covered up in different areas. Like, and it looks like artifacts that would have been there that they cover up. Um, different stuff on the ISS. I mean, there's video of stuff where they black stuff out or they'll move the camera at the, as soon as they see something come across their camera so you don't see it and change the subject. So I think it is out there, and I think we possibly even know it is and might be in contact, our government, with this. Yeah, um, and, 
and then and think about this like the people like i have a lot of people that come on and say that there's stuff going on on the moon and there people say that there's stuff going on on mars and uh, and 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 if you think of if you talk to the secret space people they think there's shit going on in every planet like it's like you know it's highly populated and i'm not saying i don't believe that i'm just saying all i'm saying is like i'd love to see some proof but we're never going to get any proof because like you said nasa lies to us so and we know that's a fact you know what i mean they they i mean like we know that they probably most likely we know that they faked the moon landing you know what i mean like i don't know why they did it you know i mean i think maybe they might have went to the moon but they didn't film it right i mean because they said that they had stanley kubrick film i heard they had kubrick film the moon landing you know i don't know about that you know like i i, I don't know i that's that's a that's a that's a reach but what are your thoughts on all that um i i mean i thought they they made it to the moon um there's the debris field they that 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 is up there on the moon now from all the different capsules being dropped. Um, and that big article about the moon actually ringing and being hollow um, because they actually dropped their payloads, you know, while they were flying up in space and hit the moon and the moon actually ran for over a half an hour long, like a bell, which means that there's possibly a hollow, there's hollowness inside the moon. So they went up and tested it again on the last time when they were going by the moon, dropped the payload higher and it rang for over an hour and 12 minutes saying that this is something to this. Uh, so I do believe they've been to the moon, um, and I do believe that it's interdimensional. I believe it's portals. I believe it's a little bit of everything, just like there's all different species here on Earth. There's a little bit of everything. I believe it's the same way when it comes to other beings visiting our planet and being out there in space. Yeah, that, I think that's really well said. And uh, I'm trying to think if I have any other questions for you. I think that's it. I think that's it. Like, um, do you just want to tell everybody where they can find your podcast? And oh, real quick, do you want to tell people about the podcast? And do you like basically kind of cover everything like I do? Or do you just do UFOs or like? Yeah, so I, I mean, I have everybody on if you want to talk about paranormal, UFOs. Uh, I'm thinking about doing a Bigfoot month soon. Um, so I, I try to cover all the bases. It's called UFO Encounters Worldwide. Um, it's on uh, all podcast platforms and the uh, Unex uh, Network, Digital Broadcasting. You can catch that every Saturday. Um, and uh, I try to, to do a, an episode every Thursday. Sometimes it'll come out on a Friday, but it's once a week. Um, you know, and, and I've been having all the top guests that I possibly could have on, big names like you've been having on yours. Um, so come on and check it out. Uh, we'd appreciate it. And then we're also going to have our first annual Philadelphia UFO exposure conference on May 20th. Um, it's from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The tickets are 100 bucks. It includes everything all day, seven speakers, a buffet dinner, lunch, um, refreshments, and a sweet table all day long. Uh, we're going to have free giveaways, book signings, merchandise, all kinds of good stuff. Again, that's May 20th. And one ticket by, includes everything. So come on out and hang out. We got a whole bunch of, we have a good lineup of people too. Who so, are your, who's your lineup? I'd love to hear this. Like, this sounds amazing. Yeah. So it's Tom Carey uh, from Roswell, uh, the big expert. Uh, we have uh, retired uh, intelligence major George Filer from Filer Files. Uh, we have Bill Burns from UFO Hunters and Ancient Aliens. Um, we have uh, Frank Chile, who knows about the secret space uh, craft and historian. Joe Foster, who is a expert, uh, retired Coast Guard and had a sighting while he was in the Coast Guard. And he's also an expert on the Monmouth County, New Jersey UFO sightings. And uh, Eric Mantell from Eric Mantell Investigates. And I think that's, oh, and Robert Spearing, uh, the Director of Investigations International from Rufon. He has investigated some of the best cases I've ever heard in my life. Um, so those are the seven speakers. They'll be each be giving a lecture plus a Q and A with all the speakers. The dinner is a buffet. I mean, it's 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 for a hundred bucks. You can't beat it. It's the cheapest conference out there. That's awesome. That's that sounds and that's in Philly. Yeah, Philadelphia Northeast at Constaders Club. Uh, it's indoor. It's a beautiful place. So maybe I'll make it out there because I'm right in Pittsburgh. So like, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And do you want to tell everybody? Do you want to be if you want to be found? Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you or your email or anything like that? Yeah, so you can uh, find me on Facebook, Jesse Peak. You'll see me in my MUFON uniform in the picture, so you know it's me. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on there all the time. Uh, you can reach me at uh, it's at A A T Peak P E A K stands for a uh, Ancient Astronaut Theorist Peak. Um, and uh, my email is the same as the um, 
the podcast, UFO Encounters Worldwide at gmail.com if you want to reach out. And then you got our website, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. That's awesome, man. I'm going to post this now. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I'm going to have to get a hold of some of those guys like Frank Chili and uh, Robert Spearing. Like, I'm going to look them up because uh, I'd love to have them on the show, too. They sound like really fascinating guests. Yeah, I just had Bob on not long ago. You'll, you'll really enjoy talking to him. He's really got some of the top cases you'll ever hear in your life. And he and he's the kind of guy that he's taken evidence, put put it through our lab before. So interesting stuff for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, thank you again. It was so nice meeting you, man. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate you having me on and giving me a shout out. I, I really appreciate it. I had a great conversation today, man. All right. Thanks.